check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet. This is Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode 235, Itoro Coco, part of the file from the Lucchese crime family and the Wise Guy series. We dive in for the remainder of this year on the Lucchese crime family. How do you get in contact with us? Well, RaiderCop.com. It's real easy. There you can hear all our episodes from number one to all the way to 235. And RaiderCopNation.com takes you to the official website. We can get more information about us and what's coming up. As you know and I know, we live in real difficult times. And the gun-grabbing Dems can't wait to take our Second Amendment away from us. But more than ever, we need to unify and we need to be ready. And ready in the form of legal insurance, defending your rights. There's a lot of good organizations out there. But today I want to talk to you about the USCCA, which we have partnered with you can become a member for as little as 20-something dollars all the way to 40-something dollars, depending on the plan that fits your budget a month. It's pennies on the dollar, and God forbid you have to take your weapon out of the holster and use it, there will be a lawsuit. And in today's society, even if you just take the weapon out, you might get sued too. So the USCCA gives you an array of training, online information at the ready, on the app, even as you should be traveling with a gun. These are troubled times. There's a lot of hateful people out there that don't want you armed. So I suggest you join the USCCA. It's as easy as getting your smartphone, texting, the word Raider, R-A-I-D-E-R, to 87222-87222, and you're on the road to become a member of the USCCA. Now, if you forgot all that information, you were driving, you didn't get it, he spoke too fast, all the information is down in the show notes. Just click on the banner down there that says USCCA, and you're on the road to becoming a member. So, we are continuing in our series of the Wise Guys series. As I said, 2021, we are featuring, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lucchese crime family. And we have just started. So, it will get more interesting. Each episode really kind of piggy banks off the next one and the story is starting to be told about the Lucchese crime family recently there was one of these YouTubers out there that was a former member of the 
Lucchese crime family. And there was a question and answer session on that website. I'll, I'll find the exact episode and it's towards the end. But I'll link that to the show notes. And I asked a general question and the mediator read it to the former member of the Lucchese crime family. And my question was mostly regarded in the form of the Lucchese crime family in Corona, Queens. And I might have mentioned it before, but he squinted and was like totally perplexed of what I had asked because he mentioned only the West Side, which is the Genovese family. And this is a common tread, tread towards the members of today's Costa Nostra, whether they're associates or members, they don't know their history of the organization that they're a part of. And maybe that's not a requirement that you go to mafia history courses, but uh, it's kind of hard to know which way you're going if you don't know your past. So I thought that was remarkable and uh, because the Lucchese crime family has a long and distinctive history in the area of Corona, Queens from inception 1931, probably all the way to the 80s. And then they start, for whatever reason, they kind of started leaving the area. Of course, the area would change in group or nationality. And there was no more Thomas Lucchese or Joe Lucchese. And uh, so it went to the wayside. But it is rooted in the Lucchese crime family, that area. So thought that was interesting. All right. I told you last episode he's, he's on a kind of like a weekend thing on vacation, Pistol Pete the Gunsmith. But soon he'll be going back to work. Don't waste any time in calling Pistol Pete the Gunsmith if you have that gun you, you've been thinking about fixing up, getting a new trigger, getting some different sights on it. Whatever you want, he's the guy that you need to call. Pistol Pete the Gunsmith down in Miami. But if you don't live in Miami, don't need to panic. Pete will explain to you how you can send the gun perfectly legal. He is a registered dealer. He will fix that gun to your liking, to your specs. You will be the happiest customer that there is, and he will be the happiest gunsmith person on the planet because he did it for you. Send it to you, and you'll be talking about Pistol Pete the Gunsmith forevermore. Well, it's that time of the podcast where we have to do the three miserable episodes from our bipolar uncle. Let's not waste any time because I know that the news is never good. So let's get the bipolar uncle stories up and running. Tasha called disturbance of the mental with her bipolar uncle, uh, bipolar. Our first story. One takes us to Uncle Joe meeting law enforcement officials and mayors of 
Democratic ruined cities in the White House, and they've come up with a great, fantastic plan on reducing crime. You see, the Democrats have finally figured out how in the world are we going to win these elections in 2022 and 2024 if every Democratic city in America is upside down. So Uncle Joe brought all those officials to the White House, and what did they discuss? Criminals, crime, more punishment, stiffer laws, penalties? No. Guns. Guns, guns, guns. And how you connect the dots and not really understand that the bad guy uses the gun, not the good guy. And it's all lost in the message. So our apologies to all those law enforcement officials that actually were bamboozled and attended a meeting with a complete buffoon on gun control. Two. Our second story takes us to the bully pulpit where Uncle Joe will soon start to broadcast about voting restrictions around the country. Now, this is another mythical lie. This is coming from the party that, let's just say, had a hand in some evil doings in the last elections. And now all of a sudden they're going to go around the country and they're going to say all these laws that these Republican states are doing restricting voters' rights. Folks, how many times can you get fooled in the three-card Monty game? You've lost half your income picking which shell the ball's under and you haven't figured it out yet. Well. And our three. Third story takes us to Congresswoman Presley that is urging Joe, Uncle Joe, to end federal death penalties by executive order. That's right, folks. Newsweek article that reads like a bad, horrifying comic strip basically details that Democratic Representative Presley has urged President Joe Biden to take on ex uh, execution action to end federal death penalty. During an appearance on MSNBC, better known as Communist Affiliated News, American Voice on Sunday, the Democratic Congresswoman told the host, Alicia Mendez, that the Department of Justice recently imposed a moratorium on federal execution was a step in the right direction. So they're all in line, leftists, liberals, they're all marching to the beat of a weaker justice system, weaker nation, more violence, more victims, and of course, as the Democrats, the race hustlers that they are, putting everybody in little boxes. You know, it's another story that we, we're not really mentioning here as a news article, but it's amazing how the liberal press now in the issue of Cuba, thousands and thousands of Cubans have risen up and asking loudly for liberty and freedom. 
In 62 years, the population in Cuba has never, ever gone to the streets to demonstrate. They're doing it now because they have nothing to lose. They have seen, for the first time in 62 years, the weakness in the armor. They are slow to respond, the Cuban government, but they are responding violently, and a lot of misery is occurring in the island of Cuba, and a lot of people are being detained, beat up, and everything else by authorities. But the public continues to go out in droves, they have no arms, no nothing but rocks, and not that we're advocating violence, but they're being forced to either run or fight. Even if they're peacefully standing there, they're going to get rolled over. And the media, the leftist media in America is saying that the Cuban people have risen up because they're fed up that they haven't gotten any treatment with COVID. That's not what they're arguing about. And again, another lie, millions of Americans will suck their thumbs and buy it. No, it's a communist country of 62 years that have had an uft. They're eating out of garbage cans, the poverty, the, the lack of any civil society has made the Cubans hit the streets at whatever price it, it will it will cost. So hopefully, Uncle Joe's babbling about uh, he's supporting the efforts. Let's see how much they'll support. Sooner or later, that leftist phone call is going to be online too for Joe. Things will change in that message. So, it's time to cheer you up with a lot of bad news. So, we're going to give you the joke of the week. Here you go. Ready? I practiced this all day. So, here we go. How do you know when the moon is broke? When it's down to its last quarter. Look, you want to get mad at me? Forget everything I told you about Uncle Joe, but you want to get mad at me. All right. All right I'm going to tell you. But we're going to turn our Bibles now to the second book of Chronicles, chapter 15, verse 5, 6, and 7. And in those times there was no peace to the ones that went out, nor to the ones that came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So the nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Second Chronicles Chapter 15, 5, 6, and 7. 
God will stir things up in your life to make things happen. And you get more of this information on RadioCopNation.com on the section that we're soon going to be putting up there on the browser that says AWOL. Today, we feature the Wise Guys series in the Lucchese Crime Family Files, and we're looking at episode 235, we're getting a short bus ready, because we're going to talk about in Toro Coco. Let's get the clown. Is the clown ready? There's the sound. Clowns are ready. Episode 237, Itoro Coco, part of the Lucchese crime family. He would be born Itoro Coco on July 12, 1908, in Palermo, Sicily. Upon his arrival to New York City, he grew up in a, the tough streets of New York, and he would develop the name Eddie, or Little Eddie. Why? Because his first name, El Toro, was a little bit too difficult, so he was Americanized by Eddie. By 1940, he would be part of a group called the Combination, that they were an arm of Murder Incorporated, and they were responsible not only uh, for the Murder Incorporated, which was an execution squad in the syndicate, but also... The combination was responsible for fixing professional boxing matches. He would work with a guy by the name of Frankie Carbo, and we'll have more on him down the road, which was actually like the czar of boxing for Costa Nostra. He had developed it to perfection, and of course, uh, Frankie Carbo was also a member of Murder Incorporated. Now, some of the boxers they had were like Rocky Graziano, that they started his career. He would box for about 10, 11 years, and uh, there was always that notion whether he took a dive or he didn't. Listen, mobsters don't recruit boxers for friendship and hugs. They're doing it for money. Murder Incorporated itself was created in 1929 through 1941 and it was created by the National Crime Syndicate and it was Jewish gangsters together with Italian Costa Nostra and some other gangsters like Irish and they were a national syndicate where they took care of issues that were a problem. They would work out of a candy store, Murder Incorporated. Now, on the Jewish side, Louis Lepke Buckhalter was the leader. And on the Italian side, it would become Albert Anastasia, the Mad Hatter. In 
Of course, uh, towards the in in the forties, they pretty much disbanded Murder Incorporated, and we're going to have an episode on that. So we're not going to get into in that dive right now. But there was a reason they had to get rid of it. By 1950, Coco, Eddie Coco, moves to Miami. And, of course, his move to Miami was not like the Black Brothers, the Black Brothers Falco, that they saw the brochure and all of a sudden they wanted to go to the beach with flip-flops. Most likely there was assignments for Eddie Coco to accomplish. Once Eddie gets to Miami and starts uh, making some head rolls and some connections and some uh, loan shark and everything else is going going pretty well for him. He has a relationship with uh, the Traficante, Santo Traficante. So let's take a little sidestep here from this story. And when we did the episode on Santos Traficante Jr., remember that we mentioned Daddy Traficante would send Junior to New York City under the watchful eye of Thomas Lucchese, where he would be son, Traficante would be taught the inner workings of Costa Nostra and the different rackets. So through that relationship, it always was there between the Lucchese crime family and the Traficante family in Florida. It would also go into Cuba. So Eddie Coco was a part of all those little mechanisms of a relationship with Traficantes in Florida and anything that was going on in Cuba as well. So there's no uh, misunderstanding why he's there. He is welcomed by Traficante. Now, the area of Florida, as a, as a review of our old episode, the area of uh, Central Florida and Tampa belongs to the Traficante family. Any other mob family that comes to Florida must check in. South Florida is open territory, but there's still the mandate of checking in. Eddie Coco would become, and he would actually get arrested in 1953 over a dispute with a car washer, Bill. He got upset and uh, he proceeded to murder the, the attendant of the car wash, and that brought him life in prison and I've got a copy of the small article that was printed by the New York Times at the time the date of this article is uh, November 13th 1953 and it states Miami November 12th Eddie Coco one time manager of Rocky Graciano former middleweight champion was sentenced to life in prison today for killing a Miami Beach car washer. Coco's lawyer, Pat Whitaker, posted a notice of appeal and Judge uh, Ben Wald 
released Coco on a $25,000 bail. He was convicted of fatally shooting Johnny B. Smith, 42 years old, during an argument over a car wash bill. Short article. So, of course, it says that his lawyer put in an appeal immediately. So, although he was sentenced to life, he would actually get released 10 years, about uh, 10, 11 years later. But in 1963, Joe Valachi was playing the rat race and he was testifying in front of the United States Senate and mentioning names, hundreds of names of made members in New York and around the country. He would en enter the name of Etoro Eddie Coco and identify him as a member of the Lucchese crime family and a capo, a capo regime under the family. In 1965, Eddie Coco would be released from Florida prison uh, from his murder arrest, and he went straight to work, never missed a beat, hit the street in 65, and he was grabbing things with both hands to make money. He was respected in the Lucchese crime family, not only as being a part of the combination, remember those are the guys that did uh, fixing of boxing matches and so forth. He was a capo regime and he was also a part of Murder Incorporated. So he had a reputation of doing business and he definitely had the ear of the old man all the way up to the top. That's why he was sent to Florida. In uh, 1967, Thomas Lucchese would die of a brain tumor of cancer. And there's been a lot of speculation about who were to succeed him and how exactly things happened. And a lot of uh, people would leave you to believe that it was chaotic. Nobody knew what's going on, who's going to lead. Nothing that Thomas Lucchese did was chaotic. And just as he was plugged in as underboss and became boss, he had a set person or persons that he was grooming and mentoring. One of those such people was Tony Ducks Corallo. At the time of 1967 that Lucchese dies, Tony Ducks is in jail and therefore giving him the mantle and he had an, a pending case that was coming too was a little confusing. So what they family did was create a bunch of candidates. Not that there was a confusion, but to confuse others. And at as a result, um, it got so confusing who was in, who was out, that uh, Eddie Coco down in Florida assumes the leadership position in 1967. And they, there's a lot of back and forth 
because they want to give it to Carmine Tremonti. And there was speculation that the commission wanted that and all that. But a lot of that stuff, folks, is a bunch of baloney. The bottom line is internal business of a family is internal business of a family. What the Lucchese family was trying to do is similar to what the Genovese family had done. Confused the hell out of people who was in charge. But Eddie Coco seized control of the family because he had done 10 years in prison. He wasn't really up to speed until the three-card Monte who's going to be in charge. So he seized control until who he thought or he was told was going to be in control spoke to him. And that would be Tony Dux Corallo, which went down to Florida and told him, everything's fine now, Coco, you can uh, let go. And he did, gave the position, went to uh, Tremonte for several years, about three or four years, while Tony Dux went uh, off to prison and a short stint and came out. And then he was turned over to Tony Dux. There was a lot of speculation that Gambino himself had picked the leader. All that is baloney. The bottom line is that Thomas Lucchese had picked a mentor. And the only thing that they can't pick is whether you're going to have trouble or not at the time of your secession. And in this case, they did. So they had to uh, create a, of course, a front boss. And they did that in Tremonte, which was very well respected with the troops as well. This uh, leadership that would come in right after the death of Thomas Lucchese would become part of the French connection, just like the movie with Gene Hackman. They were big on heroin. And a lot of people will tell you, well, wait a minute, hold on. There's a rule, there's an edict that no drugs in Costa Nostra. Yeah, there was. There was one in 51, and there was another one in 1957. And the one in 57 had the actual death sentence. The one in 51 was, if we catch you, you're going to get pow-pow. But in 57 was, we catch you, you're dead. And, but not all bosses signed up for that. And Thomas Lucchese was one of them that didn't sign up for it because the money was huge. Now, Tommy, like all the rest of the bosses, they knew how to play stupid. But they weren't going to give up what other bosses were doing behind the curtain. They weren't that dumb. And Tremonti was their guy. So they placed him in that role. And he was actually the front boss while Tony Ducks did his thing. Coco would remain a capo in Florida and in New York going back and forth. He never lost a beat in his authority. He was safeguarding the organization as instructed most likely by Thomas Lucchese at one time or another. In 1972, Coco and his brother-in-law Jimmy Black, Flacco, remember we just did the Black, the Black Brothers, were indicted for loan sharking in Florida. Both of them resided in Florida, 
Eddie Coco resided at 550 Northwest 123rd Street, Miami, Florida. Not the best neighborhood today. And Jimmy uh, Black Falco resided at 6905 Willow Lane, Miami Lakes, Florida, which is a very good neighborhood then and even now. So they would go down on this indictment and um, for loan sharking, witnesses, the whole nine yards, the uh, brother-in-law, Jimmy Black, would get a little minor sentence while everything else rolled on Coco because the judicial system was upset about his life murder sentence. He got off on appeal and got out within 10 or 11 years. So they thought they'd give him uh, 15 years for the loan sharking and off Coco went to prison again. As a result, he would uh, eventually get out in the late 80s. Coco went right to work as soon as he got out, never missing a beat, continuing in his role in the Lucchese crime family and in Florida. The there was never an administration. They were talking about the late 80s now. There's a new Lucchese administration. There's nobody saying, oh, who's this guy, Coco? Why, why is he down in Florida? Nobody. There was a perfect understanding of what he did and who he was. He would, uh, of course, in the late 80s, and when he went uh, back to loan sharking and every other activity in Florida, and he would hook up with the outfit. And he had a great scam that he came up with, which was part of something called Bingo World. They would launder tons of money and make money in the, in the long run as well. The guys from the Chicago outfit that were in on it with him was Big Dom, Dominic Cort- Cortina, and... The Wizard of Odd, which was Donald Angelini. They both uh, came in as partners with Eddie Coco. But soon enough, the feds figured out what they were up to. Dykeman's went down. And while Eddie Coco was waiting for his trial, awaiting his trial, he would pass and die in December of 1991. He was part of the old school. Now, there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of baloney that people want to talk about Murder Incorporated. All this stuff is ancient history, number one. So a lot of the new guys wouldn't even know it. Another thing is it's still a secret society. But if you look at an investigative eye at Murder Incorporated and the involvement of Costa Nostra in that, every made member that's a part of Murder Incorporated or has been identified, because there's probably a whole lot that have never been identified, they are killers, gangsters, thugs. There's no doubt who they are. And that leads me to believe in an investigative mindset that these people just didn't show up high 
I'm made member. I'm here for the murder incorporate application, the process. These people were handpicked by their bosses because of who they had and the reputation they had. They weren't going to send somebody soft to go do executions on behalf of the family. So they had to pick top people. Eddie Coco would be one of those. He would work very closely with Thomas Lucchese, which it was indicative of a lot of these gangsters. They were very loyal to the guy on the top. They might have not been big earners. In this case, he was an earner. But most of these tough gangster types, they're, they're good at bullying, but they're not too good at earning but nevertheless, there was an understanding of who Eddie Coco was in the Lucchese crime family. And those things don't really exist today. There is no murder incorporated. You do have gangsters and you do have racketeers. There is a difference. But today's Costa Nostra is so soft that the downy, Soap bottles blush as they stand next to them because it's not like the old days. What's up next? Well, we've got WCP 320 carry. We're into the firearm series and we're going to talk about the Wilson Combat Pistol. Now, is it smart to purchase a pistol that is almost a house payment, a $1,200, pistol? You lost your mind. Now, have you seen recently what gun prices are going? They're going up. And the reason they're going up is because they're hard to find. Supply and demand. So let's say I get a pretty nice, decent gun for $500. Does 1300 or 1400 really seem to you out of reach? We're going to talk about that on episode 236. If I were to take that economic weapon that I brought for $500 and I wanted to pimp it out, you know, new trigger, sights, the whole thing, the whole ball of wax, I'd probably pass the Wilson Combat Price. Hmm. But we're going to talk about that. As always, it is my honor and pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family, for your community, for the law enforcement officers that serve you. And most importantly, continue to pray for the United States of America. I hear the sirens. I gotta go.